This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Live from Cap Times Idea Fest. This is a podcast bringing you some of the conversations from this year's Idea Fest, a two-day event at the University of Wisconsin-Madison that brought together politicians, artists, activists, community leaders, and others to talk about the big issues shaping our community, our state, and beyond. Today, should legal marijuana come to Wisconsin? On this episode, Cap Times city editor Jason Joyce leads a discussion about the potential for Wisconsin to legalize medical or recreational marijuana. On the panel were two state representatives representing Madison in the Assembly, Sheila Stubbs and Melissa Sargent. Also on the panel was Paloma Kennedy, an attorney with in-depth knowledge on the CBD and marijuana legalization issue. Jacob McGinnis with Wisconsin Union Directorate also helped Jason out with some of the moderation here. All right. I'll let Jason take it away. I hope you enjoy the talk. Okay, so really quick, we're all among friends here. We are recording this for a podcast, but there are no video cameras. So, raise your hand if you've ever smoked marijuana. Okay. Uh, And uh, keep your hand raised if you smoke it regularly today. Not today. But. (laughs) Not today. These days. (laughs) So, thank you very much for your honesty and uh, your candor in that. Uh, ask if you'd like to smoke. Yeah, well, you plan on getting high soon after. About half, about half of Americans have experimented with marijuana, and about half of that number um, admit to or boast of using it regularly. So I think those number, the numbers in this room, maybe we're a little up from that on having tried marijuana, but I think we're about regular as far as um, regular use is concerned. Marijuana, of course, is legal in several states, um, both recreationally and for medicinal purposes, and it has even spurred a tourist economy in uh, states like Colorado and Oregon and elsewhere. As of January 1st, marijuana will be legal to purchase in the state of Illinois. Uh, So for Madison residents, that means legal weed will be available in South Beloit, just under an hour directly south of here. According to a Cap Times article by Steve Elbow, owners of dispensaries are very interested in attracting buyers from the Madison market and probably from communities all across the state line. It is interesting to note uh, that between 1919 and 1931, Wisconsin became the leading hemp grower in the U.S. with more land devoted to growing the cannabis plant in this state, uh, which was used to manufacture products like rope for the U.S. Navy, Um, in World War II. So more land was devoted to growing cannabis in Wisconsin than in all of the other states of the Union combined. So 
there is a tradition and a, and a heritage, really, in this state of, uh, of gr- growing cannabis. Um, uh, before we go any further, we'll be taking questions today on cards. And remind me one more. Isaac down here has cards. He'll circulate and pass those out. And if you have a question, uh, just write it on that card and sort of get his attention, hold it up. I'll ask a couple of times during the course of the conversation today. He'll bring your questions up. Jacob uh, and or I will sort of go through those, and, and we'll, uh, we'll do our best to make sure that, that um, your questions are taken care of today. Um, so uh, let's just start out by talking to Representative Sargent, who, who has authored four bills, as she said. Um, uh, different states have, different, have taken different paths toward legalization at this point, some going the route of legalizing marijuana just for medicinal purposes. Um, your bill goes a step further, um, maybe several steps further, um, and allows for recreational use. Why did you decide to take that strategy? Well, um, plain and simple, I think the most dangerous thing about cannabis in Wisconsin is that it is illegal. Um, prohibition has not worked when it comes to other substances. And it is time for Wisconsin to, I guess I wasn't loud enough. Um, it is time for Wisconsin uh, to move forward in this conversation and be leaders. I know that it's a really three-dimensional issue, and there are a lot of people who are, quite frankly, afraid of legalization. Um, there's a lot of people who are excited about the prospect, and there are a lot of people who have been wronged by a broken society that deserve to be right. And through writing a comprehensive bill, um, to remove the prohibition of cannabis in the state of Wisconsin, I believe um, that we are going to be able to move ourselves forward in all of those in all of those ways, addressing um, great concerns that people have in our community, as well as providing opportunities for prosperity um, in Wisconsin, as well as addressing egregious racial disparities and our broken criminal justice system. I never imagined that this would be a bill that I would be introducing when I campaigned. This isn't what I campaigned about when I was running for um, for the legislature. Um, Frankly, I ran for the legislature because I felt my government wasn't working and it wasn't hearing the voices of the people of the state of Wisconsin. Um, I won my election and shortly after that, maybe because I talked about the importance of hearing the voices of the people in my community and the voices of people from across the state of Wisconsin, People started knocking on my door and sharing stories about what the prohibition of cannabis had done to them and people who they love. And it became really clear that it was going to be a tough topic. Um, This was shortly after Colorado had legalized, so we hadn't seen as many states move forward in the way that we have now. Um, And shortly after I introduced the bill, people would whisper in my ear at the grocery store at my children's soccer game, hey, I like that stuff you're working on, keep it up. Here we are almost um, seven years later into our fourth iteration of the legislation, and people are loud and proud in their conversations um, about why it is that we need to be What has changed about your bill uh, since the first time you introduced it? Um, so the bill has changed a lot um, every session. Um, frankly, the conversation around cannabis legalization has changed substantially. Um, not only in the United States, but internationally. We've seen countries like Canada legalize. We see um, Mexico talking about what it is that they're going to do. Um, and we see the benefits in other states and the fact that uh, the ground hasn't fallen out in those other states. Uh, the most recent version of the legislation <coughs> that I have put out has uh, an expungement provision in it for people that have been um, broken by our prohibition in the state of Wisconsin. 
as well as um, a provision that would release nonviolent, low-level cannabis offenders who are currently sitting in our jails and prisons. Um, so that's a big step um, in what it is that's changed. I've also included um, provisions as far as educating and working with our youth in our communities to help them understand the importance of brain development and help them know um, that, quite frankly, using of controlled substances, whether you know they're legal, such as energy drinks, um, or not having enough vegetables in your diet, not sleeping enough, um, our kids' brains are still developing until they're 25, 26 years old. And simply by having cannabis on the list of um, prohibited substances at the national level that we know are terrible, like heroin and cocaine um, people are dying from and have really negative effects on our community, cannabis is on that same list. And kids see people using it all the time and not having these negative effects. So that's a national conversation as to where it is that this, this plant is classified. But um, to me, having pragmatic conversations with young people is really important. So those are two pretty big changes over the years. And the bill does change. Um, we are learning. And um, I think it's really important that because of the fact that we are learning through science and we're learning through the laboratories of democracy in other states, um, and we're learning through what it is that's happening in other countries, that this bill um, is something that adjust itself based on the change. Uh, if we could skip over to uh, Representative Stubbs. Um, you represent a, a district in Madison, I, obviously. I'm just wondering, um, do you support Representative Sargent's bill? And if you could tell us a little bit about how you got to that position. Absolutely. But first, thank you for inviting me to be on this panel. It's always an honor to share a panel with my colleague. I have uh, worked and served with uh, Representative Sargent at the county board level. So we have an extensive history on shared values and beliefs. And yes, I support uh, her policy, her her bill 100%. It's necessary. And I think that behooves to what's happening within our communities, where we're hearing voices of those that are oftentimes not heard. The silent voices are those that are incarcerated or underrepresented or marginalized communities where I represent South Madison, one of the most diversified sections of this whole city uh, of Madison in my representative district, and also as a county board supervisor. And I knew that uh, people wanted to have marijuana uh, legalized. I'm a former probation parole agent. Uh, for eight years, I worked in this Department of Corrections system. And so firsthand, I saw way too many people incarcerated, especially black men, incarcerated because they had uh, a violation for marijuana use or possession. And at the county board level, we saw the same thing. And so part of interrupting these daunting and unacceptable and embarrassing racial disparities, we have to deal with the policies. And I'm here to tell you we have had an unjust and unfair system. Our criminal justice system is just not fair to certain people. And so actually supporting this bill gives us uh, the place that we need to have for all people, not just for some people, not just for the haves, but also for the have-nots. Are there examples specifically that you can recall from your days working in the criminal justice system or even hearing from some of your constituents now about how, you know, boy, they've really been screwed over by the system as a result of marijuana laws? Absolutely. I mean, as a former probation parole agent, it was daily. Uh, most of the people that are incarcerated 
were individuals that had been in our system for years. And I know that there was an abuse history. I know that their drug of choice, because we do these risk and assessments, I knew what their drug of choice was, and it was marijuana. And I'll just be honest and frank with you, since we're going to be open with this discussion, people just had the munchies. They just love to keep eating and eating and eating. But I didn't see them go out and commit a new crime. And so I began to say, when you think about some of the other symptoms that happen with other drugs, I just didn't see that from the population that were utilizing marijuana. Um, especially in the black community, it was just a drug of choice. And as you know, the drug, the war on drugs, that's kind of where it came from. It was simple drugs like marijuana. And for once, we're beginning to hear the voices of the African-American community. And our African-American community, our males here in the state of Wisconsin, especially dealing with Milwaukee County, have had the highest population of incarceration from marijuana. And so when Representative Sargent talks about racial disparities, she's absolutely right. And I can share that with you as an African-American woman. I can tell you out of five men that I know, at least four have been a part of our, our system, our criminal justice system, from probation to parole. So not just going to our local jails, but being incarcerated. And if you think about marijuana and the symptoms and what's happening, why are people having this offense on their record? And so I support expungement 100%. I funded expungement clinics in South Madison with $50,000 and partner with Urban League because it's necessary. And so I ask you, if you don't support this, please support us because this is necessary policy. Thank you. Um, Paloma, um, if we could just back up a little bit here, um, having listened to the lawmakers just talk about the issue a little bit, um, in the article you wrote uh, for Wisconsin Lawyer, you cite some of, the, some of the hazards, some of the potential pitfalls of legalizing marijuana in the state. Um, could you just review those for a bit? Sure, absolutely. So uh, some of the states that have legalized marijuana have been able to, I think, show us the right path towards legalization, whether that's medicinal or recreational, in that we're able to have the hindsight in looking at what other states have done that hasn't worked and things that we can learn from and, and really bake into our system so that we don't have those systems. No pun intended. Um, but this is totally unintentional. Um, but yeah, so uh, Colorado, when it first legalized marijuana, it actually had an uptick in the amount of cannabis that was being trafficked across its border into neighbor states where it was illegal. Um, in addition, there were incidences where individuals were underage that were consuming marijuana products um, because a lot of times marijuana is sold in a, in a gummy type product, so it is similar to the gummies that they think are just candy. And so they had to put in place in Colorado some prohibition on selling gummies that are more attractive to children, um, putting certain labels, making sure that there weren't some confusion between what is and isn't something for only adult consumption. Um, the, the trafficking issue obviously is something that, you know, I think any state that neighbors a state that has legalized marijuana where that neighboring state hasn't is going to see some sort of issue naturally, um, especially from the perspective that if it's just across the border, like you were saying with Beloit, it's very close, it's within driving distance, you're going to see an increase in the amount of people that are bringing stuff back, whether it's for personal use or potentially for other people. Um, 
you know, I think one of the other issues that has come about has just been uh, the fact that CBD uh, and marijuana products in general aren't regulated at the federal level. And so a lot of issues have, have sprung up in states where they've legalized, showing that there are all sorts of uh, bad ingredients. So people are using um, uh, pesticides, there's found fungus in them. Um, they're also finding that a lot of CBD products that are on the shelf today don't actually contain legitimate amounts of CBD. Um, and so the regulation that needs to be there uh, would really help with us in terms of we're consuming this, it should be treated like a food, it should be regulated like a food, and there should be something in place to say, these are the standards and everyone must abide by them for the safety of consumers. Jacob, you had some questions about some of the practical uh matters involved in legalizing uh, marijuana as well. Do you have some questions for the panelists? So some of the other people of the younger gen generation might be able to attest to this, but in high school health class, we had it drilled into our heads that marijuana is a gateway drug, and if you use it, you will use other harder drugs. So I am just wondering, to, for some of our panelists, do you think that it is a gateway drug? And if so, how will legalizing it affect the use of other drugs in the state? Yes. <laughs> well, first of all, I think it's a gateway to opportunity and prosperity for the state of Wisconsin. We've given four and a half million dollars away to Foxconn over on the southeast border of the state of Wisconsin, and that's a complete boondoggle. We are not creating jobs. We are not bringing opportunity for Wisconsinites to benefit from um, from this industry. If we legalize cannabis, on the other hand, in the state of Wisconsin, we see between 10 and 20,000 jobs created in the state of Wisconsin. They're good cannabis sustaining jobs. The wages are, are pretty high when it comes to the, um, the rest of the market. And we would be able to invest in and saving our small family farms. So when you say, is it a gateway drug? I, I really do believe that it's a gateway to opening doors and solving problems and providing opportunities for the state of Wisconsin. Now, when you're talking about youth usage, which is really the question that you're asking here, um, I think the fact that it is misclassified, and I alluded to this in an earlier answer, um, with drugs that do kill people and have direct damaging effects on society is terrible, absolutely terrible. Um, in the state of Wisconsin, the true gateway drug is alcohol. I think that we can all admit to the fact that we have an alcohol problem in the state of Wisconsin. We learned pretty early on that prohibition of alcohol wasn't the way that we address um, problems when it comes to consumption, and we have a lot of conversations and work to, that we need to do in the state of Wisconsin when it comes um, to alcohol use. But I think that really the gateway um, theory is broken and wrong. I wanted to address the point about alcohol because I think a lot of people um, who are in favor of, of legalizing marijuana, a lot of people who use marijuana in our community, um, you use it much like someone would you know, skip down to the liquor store and maybe buy a six-pack and sit on their deck and sort of chill out on a Friday mm -hmm. night, right? But that's not the only way people use alcohol or abuse alcohol in our, in our community. And in some ways, sort of the permissive uses of of alcohol have led to some problems. The fact that you, you can buy it at the student union, you, it's its everywhere. It's at church picnics. It's sort of, mm -hmm. you know, on us all the time. Certainly people have expressed some concerns that legalizing marijuana will, will also sort of put it into that permissive category. What's your response to that? Well, 
I'm not going to stand or sit. I guess I'm sitting up here today. I'm not going to sit up here and say that there are people who are misusing cannabis. Um, but certainly, um, that doesn't mean that we should have a prohibition of cannabis in our society. It already is being misused. And I think that with pragmatic and thoughtful conversations with regulation, we have we just heard from Paloma about the fact that um, it's on the black market. Who knows what it is that's been leased in it? Who knows if you go to someone and you're trying to have access to it and they don't have that, what they might ask you to purchase or offer for you to be able to purchase. If there's, and you know, I'm not talking about just lacing it with things, but you know, whether it's uh, mold or um, pesticides or herbicides or you know, many other other situations. I know that people are going to drive across the border to other states. We are going to be an island of prohibition very soon in the state of Wisconsin, and people are going to choose to drive a couple of hours to a legalized state so that they can buy a product that has been regulated in the market. They know what it is that they're going to be having access to because they want to know what it is that they're putting into their bodies. Um, certainly, um, when I talk to addiction specialists, and I spent a lot of time talking to people from all sorts of different fields about this topic, um, it looks to be more and more that there is a gene, a predisposition that people carry towards addiction. And you know, whether your addiction is exercise or food, um, alcohol, there's a predisposition for many people to have um, have that in their bodies. And how it is that we support people um, that have that predisposition is far more important than continuing to go down a path where less than 5% of our society looks to carry that predisposition and continuing with the conversation of prohibition. We have over 95% of our population that can self-regulate and take care of themselves. Um. This is sort of a question, an open-ended question for anyone on the panel. Maybe several of you have views on this. Um, I'm not sure that many, certainly people of a certain age uh, or older in our society, maybe aren't aware of all the innovation and technology available uh, now within the, you know, the legal or illegal, um, you know, marijuana industry. Um, we're told that strains of pot available today are in many cases much more potent and much more likely to cause um, at least psychological addiction, if not you know, outright um, physical addiction, which I think many people thought in the past was not possible with marijuana. Um, the effects of edibles, vaping, um, and dabbing are far different from simply passing around a joint. Um, is there a need for caution there? What kinds of safeguards are, are built in uh, to sort of make sure that, you know, like really strong, really potent marijuana isn't exactly treated the same as, you know, really moderate and mild. Well, if we had shops that you could go in and you could buy your product from in the same way, for example, that alcohol has a proof on it, um, we would have, the, the cannabis would be labeled and you would know, you know, there are many more cannabinoids out there than just THC and CBD, but those are the ones that most people are paying attention to right now. You would know this this product for this price in this portion of the case has this percentage of THC and this percentage of CBD and the person behind the counter would have been trained um, to know what it is that they're selling you um, and you would be able to go in and have conversations with people about what it is that you're looking for. Um, do you want to be able to relax? Do you want to be able to, um, to eat more because you're having a hard time eating? Do you want to um, have a good time with your friends and, and laugh and giggle more. Um, you go into shops where the bud tenders, the people behind the counter, 
have been trained and they are licensed very much in the same way that uh, a bartender would be licensed and the shop has a license that they're applying for as well and um, in the legislation there's labeling provisions and, and provisions as far as education um, for exactly these reasons different people are looking for different results and we do know that because other countries have been able to have access um, and done more scientific research on this that different strains and different plants offer different results um, and making sure that people have access to what it is that they're looking for um, is vital and prohibition does not allow that to happen. Paloma, is there a, an evolution on uh, the types of labeling and regulation uh, that Representative Sargent talks about in other states happening as we speak? I think that there is still a lot of work to be done um, just because there is no federal oversight right now. Um, but I do think that states are innovating to try and create programs both through technology and through the businesses that are selling cannabis out in the marketplace to try and track and trace what's being grown, what's being sold, what's in the actual product. So we're starting to get this evolution kind of similar almost to uh, meat products that are sold where at one point nobody cared whether it was antibiotic free or free range or any of that. And so <clears throat> we started with really is it just legally available and now everybody with all the issues that are coming into the news about safety and people having all sorts of lung issues and having hospitalizations occur so people are dying, the issue then is becoming more important that the quality of the product and what is being grown is more potent and actually important to this actual legal marketplace. And so I think as we get further along, it'll continue to change and, and people will start to see products, like there are already products that are being sold out in Colorado where they're promising organic. They're already promising that things are being created without pesticides, with, with thought and care, just like how we see in the Madison marketplace when you're buying meat or vegetables at the farmer's market. Yeah. Uh, Representative Stubbs, okay. um, obviously the, the, perhaps the primary um, obstacle in moving this type of legislation along have been your friends across the aisle. Uh, many of whom are just not willing to discuss the issue. Uh, is there movement on this? Have you heard any of them sort of becoming a little more curious or maybe wanting to sign on maybe eventually? Well, from reading the article when Governor Evers introduced the policy, there were a couple of, of our colleagues that were Republicans that mentioned there is a movement from a medical perspective, especially for cancer survivors. Um, and I think that's really important to highlight that it's just not recreational, it's medical usage. And so with that being said, why would someone not want to support when you hear people talk about the pains and the agonies? For example, there's a senior that lives in my mom's complex in South Madison, and uh, he's, he's surviving from brain cancer. But he talks about how important that it is that marijuana be legalized. He tells me this every day. Every day he calls my office, he stops me in the complex, and he's a senior. And I remember him saying, if we don't hurry up and legalize marijuana in Wisconsin, i got to move to Colorado. And I'm a senior. I don't have the money. Why should I have to leave from a state that I love and I was born and raised in to move somewhere else because it's going to help me medically? And I'm a product of Beloit. I grew up in Beloit. And so I can tell you oftentimes many stories about the border 
a blatant sublate when Illinois offers something and Wisconsin does not. Um, and so you're going to see a boom with traffic. You're going to see communities grow even faster. The economy is going to go there. If you ever go to South Beloit and Beloit, you can see there's a lack of jobs. There's more crime than there is employment. And so I know in the state of Illinois, they need the economy. And do you think the state of Wisconsin don't? To me, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's a no-nonsense. So I think we should just follow through with it because it makes sense uh, to do that. And when you hear seniors' voices... That's another voice that oftentimes we don't hear. They're asking us, so let's do it. And I hope our colleagues will support us. So we've got a bunch of questions up here. Uh, Jacob is sort of going through them. Remember, um, just sort of raise your hand, and Isaac will uh, will get to you. Jacob, what do you got there? So I'm seeing a lot of a lot of things related to DUIs and marijuana usage. So obviously, in Wisconsin, we suffer from. Uh, an excessive amount of alcohol-related traffic incidents and uh, uh, tickets. So how, if it does, does marijuana affect uh, an, a, a driver's ability to react? And are there certain policing measure, measures that you have in mind to combat this? And, and then also, how can you determine if someone is high at the time that they're driving rather than if they've consumed cannabis in the last two weeks? But let him walk. <laughs> Riding bike. Yeah. East streets where we're your snacks. I have a real hard time with anyone that does um, participate in impaired driving. And I already talked about earlier the effects of alcohol use in the state of Wisconsin. And we have some real issues when it comes to impaired driving in Wisconsin. And it's not just about cannabis. Um, you know, whether we're talking about people who are shooting up with heroin with children in the backseat of their car. I hear this, it seems like on a weekly basis now, first responders inserting narcan into people's bodies because they have a vehicle running and, you know, too often there's a kid in the back. Whether it's the cell phone um, that they're distracted by. Um, whether it's a prescription drugs. Whether it is having worked too many shifts. We need to talk about impaired driving in the state of Wisconsin in a really comprehensive way. That's vitally important, and I take that really seriously, and there is a big part of my bill that talks about impaired driving. The science behind impaired driving and testing of that within the cannabis industry is a little bit more challenging. Uh, part of this is because scientists aren't able to have access to this plant to be able to do the research that they need to do to make sure that they have the adequate tests. We're seeing some of that research happening in other countries. This is a vital component of this legislation. It's something that I do take very seriously. Um, we are seeing um, more of this conversation because of border states, again, because we are Indian Island of Prohibition here in the state of Wisconsin. And while I don't have so much of a concern about people who are using cannabis, please don't use it and get behind a wheel. Um, it causes based on information that we have from other states, it's, it's less lethal. Um, but I don't want any, you know, like, everyone should be safe on the roads. And I don't want this to be a distraction from that conversation. And I, I think Paloma has more to add to that. One of the biggest concerns that have arisen with the idea of legalization of marijuana is that there will be an increase in the amount of 
uh, impaired driving in our state since we already have an impairment issue related to alcohol. And in Washington and Colorado, they've both done studies for the Department of Transportation and found that after legalization and right after the actual legalization occurred, there has been no sudden increase in the amount of traffic incidences, deaths, or crashes that would have coincided with legalization. And so while obviously it's not conclusive to say over the long run that's not going to change, but if all of a sudden marijuana was legalized in the state and everyone is you know, flooding in to buy it that wanted it legalized in the first place and we're not seeing that sudden uptick in the amount of crashes or people that are being pulled over for being intoxicated, then obviously that's something that wasn't as big of an issue as drinking and driving. Um, there are studies that have been conducted that have shown potentially that there is a reduction in how much alcohol affects a driver when the two are combined. Now, I'm not saying that it's a benefit that people are doubly intoxicated, but if an individual is going to drink and also imbibe in, in cannabis, then potentially we have some benefit in that the effects of alcohol are a somewhat like decreased or diminished by the cannabis intake. Um, one of the biggest issues that continues to occur in states where it's legal is that testing for whether you're impaired is still a science that's not very exact. And so THC is actually fat soluble, which means that it enters and leaves your bloodstream extremely fast. So depending on the amount of marijuana you use on a regular basis in a state that's legal, you could potentially be um, pulled over and arrested for drunk driving through cannabis, and you wouldn't have smoked since maybe Saturday. Um, and so some people say it's similar to essentially getting pulled over for uh, drinking on Friday and being arrested on Monday for it. And so we're finding out that this has become a, a very big issue because not only does your body metabolize it differently, but the tests are so imprecise that people who are extremely impaired because they had an edible won't show it in their system, but perhaps are not capable of driving. But someone who smoked it three days ago who smokes all the time could be shown positive, but they're not impaired whatsoever. That's that's super complicated. Have you, have you heard from law enforcement on this? Yeah. Is law enforcement at the point or moving toward the point where they're trying to get to yes? So it, it's even more complicated, and you did a great job explaining this complicated science. It's even more complicated with the legalization of um, and access to CBD products mm -hmm. um, because CBD products can have, have a percentage of THC in them. Mm -hmm. And people can be using CBD, which is completely legal in the state of Wisconsin, and can still test positive or hot for, um, for cannabis, for, C, for THC. Um, and again, I, I point to the fact that we need scientists out there who have access to this plant so that they can do the research and come up with these tests. Folks, like, we've addressed cancer um, crises in our country. We sent people to the moon. Uh, there was a robot on Mars, right? We can do amazing, extraordinary things in our country. And, and as human beings, our brains are continually developing and we like to solve problems. But if we don't give people the ac access to what it is that they need in order to solve these problems, it's almost as if we don't want the solution. We're, we're continuing to create this crisis and, and, and we're not able to address it in a way that we need to.
This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So I'd like to keep this one brief just because I know it's about, this, this event specifically is about legalization of cannabis, but we've gotten several questions about how the decriminalization and legalization of marijuana might lead to the decriminal, decriminalization and legalization of other illicit drugs right now. Um, so, for example, like Denver, I believe, much like psychedelics, and what, you, what role legalization of marijuana might play in that? Well, I'd like to talk about it from a perspective as a person of color. Uh, we know that Wisconsin is the absolute worst state to raise a black family. And part of this is the reality of our broken and unjust criminal justice system. In 2012, the adult marijuana possession rate for black Wisconsinites was nearly six times higher than that of a white person. That's 1,255 times per 100,000 residents. That tells me that we have a disparity issue. I can say firsthand as a person of color and as a person who has been a professional in the system that we need to do the decriminalization of marijuana because it has a couple of different um, perks to it. Uh, One is that it generates an economic impact and Representative Sargent said it great. Um, It's a $2.4 million economic um, interest that comes to the state of Wisconsin and we need that. We need those dollars. And in addition, legalizing marijuana would radically increase the scope. And in Colorado, you've heard uh, very clearly that the revenue has surpassed $1 billion. And we're talking dollars and cents. And in the state of Wisconsin, everything is about dollars. And so I, it, it behooves me that we wouldn't think that we need to decriminalize an offense for people that are low-level, nonviolent people, and we have identified it in the state of Wisconsin that it is a racial disparity initiative. And I am honored that, that our Governor Evers stood up and identified that um, when he introduced his bill to talk about it. And uh, I ask you to continue to ask those questions. Why in the state of Wisconsin do we have a tell of two cities? And the tell of two cities is about the just and the unjust. Who's benefiting? Who's been burdened? and who is suffering the mitigated consequences. And that still needs to be questions that need to be answered with every policy that we introduce within the state. And I can tell you right now, legalizing marijuana will help reduce these daunting disparities, especially for those incarcerated. So I think there are a lot of conversations that are in uh, examples of other countries and other states that are looking at um, decriminalizing and legalizing other substances. This bill is very specific to, to, um, to cannabis, to marijuana. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it doesn't include a provision that's going to be a sneaky way for, for other substances mm-hmm. to become legal. Uh, it is a conversation that I am tracking. I'm interested in it. Um, I, I just haven't landed on a position where I think that that's where we need to be going as a state right now. Um, Paloma, as a business attorney, you advise and work with the local business community do you have any sort of sense as to whether legalization, um, where the balance would lie 
if legalization were to happen over um, whether this is something that local businesses, smaller state-owned businesses, um, would diversify into this area, or would this be an area where you know larger sort of there's already the term you know big marijuana out there would would move into the state and sort of set up shop, and it would be more like you know more Starbucks than you know local small coffee. Do you want to talk about it? Do you know about that? I mean, I'm not going to talk about it. So, well, I, I don't want to steal the mic. But this, the bill that I've written, the actual bill, has a five-year provision in it for Wisconsin-based businesses. Okay. Um, so, you, you would have to be a Wisconsin-based business in order to be able to enter the industry for five years if the bill were to pass in the way that I have drafted. That being said, <laughs> I, can, I guess I'll play devil's advocate from the perspective that there are there are sneaky ways that people could partner with pre-existing Wisconsin businesses to get their business into the state of Wisconsin. That is a, a reality, but I do think without legalizing any sort of marijuana here in Wisconsin, we're missing out not only on the tax revenue, but we're also missing out on the potential local um, investment of dollars and economic development that could come from it. And I think that with Illinois legalizing it just a state away, we run the risk of having a lot of our investment dollars be put into Illinois and having businesses relocate to just across the border where it is legal to help move forward their vision. Um, you know, I know that obviously there are a lot of concerns and there's still a lot of uh, politically divided opinions in the state of Wisconsin as to whether it should be legalized. But when you look at, um, you know, just in general, the amount of revenue that can come from legalization and the amount of things that we really need more money spent on in our state, I think it becomes more clear that if not only Illinois is legalizing just a state away, are we going to see economic development potentially take a downturn internally, but we're also going to see potentially a significant decrease in the amount of revenue that's spent locally just in general because you're going to have you know, what I would consider weekend flight. You're going to have people that are going across the border, and it might seem mundane. You know, people are just going to drive, let's say, let's use Madison and Beloit as the example. You're going to drive down to Beloit, spend the day. That doesn't seem like you're impacting the local economy, but think about this. You're eating lunch there. You might shop there. You might get gas there. You might also decide to do something else in the state. So you're all of a sudden spending all of your day's money in Illinois as opposed to Wisconsin. Multiply that by the amount of people that might spend time every weekend or even just in the evenings in Illinois, you're going to see an impact locally. I would suggest that um, for those of you who don't think that that's likely, uh, I grew up in the Twin Cities. My family still lives there. Mm -hmm. There are people who drive to Hudson, Wisconsin, simply for the purpose of buying spotted cow beer, and they spend wow. all afternoon there. So that's not you know where it's, people are willing to drive for their yes. you know vice mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, thank you. For, Thank you for that. Do we have any other uh, questions in front yeah. of there, Jacob? Um, so do you see any lessons learned from the re-legalization of hemp and C CBD products for uh, like and the rise of hemp farms and CBD stores and like how that will segue into the legalization of recreational use? 
Certainly, I think it's great that Wisconsin is finding, going back to some of its roots. We were a leader in hemp farming, as was mentioned in the intro, and uh, we unfortunately are a state that is leading out on small daily farms. Um, I believe an article I recently read was two farms a day are leaving our state. And um, we saw an unprecedented amount of people apply for hemp growing permits in the state of Wisconsin. And in fact, you don't need to go very far outside of the city of Madison to be able to drive by a hemp field. Um, that's not as skunk you smell it. <laughs> this time of the year, there are actually plants, and you can see them. It's really it's, it's exciting to me to see um, to see these crops growing. Um, I know, based on conversations that I've had with many of these farmers, um, processors, distributors, um, that the products that they are, are, are growing and producing and planning on um, distributing in the state of Wisconsin is a way to learn more about the industry and to get their toe wet for when we do legalize cannabis. There are a number of other farmers that really want to stay within the hemp field um, and stay within the CBD and hemp industry. Um, but quite frankly, we do have problems in the state of Wisconsin in that industry because of the lack of regulation. As was mentioned earlier, um, you could go into a shop and you could buy something that you think is a, a, a bottle of CBD um, that is labeled at a certain percentage, and in fact it's olive oil with some food coloring in it um, that may have some pesticides associated with it as well. We are not regulating um, that field, and people people are being drawn to it. It is you know there's experiences in other states where it's actually saving lives, um, and this is a an opportunity for um, for growth. So with the, the bill that I've introduced, which is AB 220 for legalization, uh, we will be able to address many of those concerns as well. Um, the booming hemp industry in Wisconsin, we're gonna see um, shortly, I think, whether or not VATCAP can keep up with um, the testing of the plants in the fields before they can be uh, harvested. Um, and produced. I'm, I'm very worried about the direct impacts on the farmers who have put plants in the ground um, and whether or not our state has the adequate people to go out there and test those plants. To kind of back off of what she said, uh, the fact that we're going to have a well-developed hemp industry in the state, potentially before we ever get to legalization, would allow us to have the infrastructure ready and able to move forward with legalization in a way that would, I think, reduce some of the negative effects that some states have had. For example, in Nevada, they experienced a statewide shortage um, of marijuana three days into legalization. So I think a lot of people don't realize what kind of demand is out there. Um, and so if we already have lots of hemp shops or, or CBD shops in our state, um, and, and farmers dedicated already to growing the, the type of product that would be just essentially a different strain, then I think that we would be much more prepared for the next step. So you mentioned DATCAP. How might you see the agency change to help cope with some of the challenges that we might see with legalization? DATCAP, by the way, is? The Department of Trade, uh, the Consumer Protections in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and quite frankly, we're going to need more staff, but there's yeah. going to be a lot of, as Representative Stubbs 
um, illustrated millions of dollars of tax revenue that's going to be coming into the state of, state of Wisconsin based on taxes and um, fees and permits, as well as multi-billions of dollars coming in from economic stimulus that is going to be spent on the economy that's going to go into our tax base as well. Mm -hmm. So paying for those additional um, scientists um, to be able to go out and actually do the testing and make sure that people are being um, held accountable, that we don't have mold on our, on our product that we're um, processing and, and putting into market that people understand what pesticides and herbicides have been used if someone is labeling it as organic, whether or not um, the product was grown, manufactured, and distributed in Wisconsin, it should have a label made in Wisconsin. Um, these are all provisions that are outlined, outlined in AB 220. I mean, and sort of the, the irony, right, of legalizing or of lifting a, regula a big regulation is that many other regulations will then subsequently yeah. take effect. I'm just thinking most recently of the problems with vaping um, and, mm. you know, people becoming very mm -hmm. sick. They're obviously using it at a level that's the, the guy who they arrested in Milwaukee wow. producing this at a pretty pretty significant level, um, completely unregulated. Right? Completely unregulated, and we don't know what it is that was going in there. I mean, there's conversations about vitamin E being put into vaping cartridges, and our lungs aren't made for vitamin mm -hmm. E oil to, to go into them. Mm -hmm. um, there's questions about how is it that you know what percentage of THC is in a cartridge, and um, how do we know, again, whether there was pesticides or other, other additives? We, we, we in Wisconsin, um, not too long ago, were regulating K2 spice, you know, this substance that was being manufactured primarily overseas and sold in convenience stores and gas stations across the state of Wisconsin that people were purchasing um, as a synthetic cannabinoid um, to get high, but in fact it was called you don't know what's in it, and it was causing people to get very sick and die. Regulation is not a bad thing. Um, I like to know that, you know, the food that I'm eating, that was a great analogy, and the meat that I'm eating and the milk that I'm drinking, um, the beer that I'm ingesting is been made and manufactured and distributed in a way that it is what I think it is based on, you know, what, what the label is and what's on the product. And DACAP plays a very important role in that conversation. Um. Jacob, before you get to another question, I have a question for you. Um, in your discussion with your peers at the university, um, you know, people your age, obviously in the legislature, this is very much a Democrat-Republican issue. Um, this bill perhaps would have already been passed had Republicans been in favor of it. Do you talk to conservative students about this issue? Is this something where maybe um, as, uh, you know, the millennials get a little bit older, as generation... Uh, whatever Z gets a little bit older, that, that this will turn out to be a no-brainer? I would say that uh, there isn't really that divide that you're talking about, at least, at least that I've witnessed. The, a lot of conservative students will be doing the same things when it comes, when it's related to marijuana that a lot of the liberal students do as well. And I don't know if that's just a... I think it might be that generational difference that you're talking about because so often, well, I, I also think the advent of social media, people are exposed to it a lot more and people can do their own research about it and people can decide if it's for them or not. They don't just have that health class experience that I had and that people, you know, 10 years ago had, but then when they were my age, they didn't have 
the same access to, to technology and, and information that that we did that that we that I my generation does now. And I think once you know, I'm not gonna. I don't like making predictions because I've been wrong before. But 15, 20 years, 20 years from now, I think it might be a no-brainer because a lot of the people in my generation don't see the negative benefits of it, and a lot of them that I've talked to don't. It's it's interesting how it's flipped because they don't see the negative consequences of marijuana in the same way that they see the negative consequences of alcohol use when it comes to like academics. You know, they're like, oh, like we can smoke a little bit and feel fine the next day. Wake up at 6 a.m., ready to go. Where if you do that with alcohol, you're, it's a rough start, you know. Um, so I think it, we'll see a big shift in the, in the coming years once our generation comes in or whatever. And Isaac, you, you might be able to speak to this as well. I'd just like to throw on, I think, a big part of the reason why there is this divide in the older generations is because they lived through the war on drugs. They have a lot of those preconceived notions, whereas we're kind of living in the era of legalization talks. We're seeing all these different states legalize. We're seeing, and I think a lot of it have, having to do with the fact that we're growing up in a time of massive debt for each state and our country as a whole, and there's just a huge opportunity to capitalize on the income that we've been talking about. Each state has seen a lot of economic benefit, and I think our whole generation is very concerned about the debt and we don't see, as you were saying, we don't see the negative consequences as much with marijuana as we do with alcohol. 20 years ago, buying marijuana was a simple, basically one way to do it. Now the products are different. Or half of people your age, people are using the innovation, are they using gummies, Yeah, people are definitely using gummies and I and going back to the, to the information people have access to that information on how to make their own you know I, I think there's just so many more people making their own edibles now because they realize pretty much how, how easy it is to do and also another thing that you see is you know the advent of carts you know cartridges that have uh, THC oil in it or you can use like a, a dab wax which is like a, a resin from pressing the bud um, and people can use that say inside in a dorm room even without getting caught at all because the the, the, the smell doesn't hang it doesn't stick in the air, so I think that allows people to embrace it a lot more, and with the electronic use now, people can modulate themselves very well, and if they do have access to to gummies and edibles that aren't made at home, because so much of it, you know, you'll hear of like a shipment coming in from California. And they know that, like, okay, that's that's 10 milligrams, and, you know, I can take five of those, and it'll feel it a lot, or I can take one of them, and it will not affect me as much. Or a lot. Melissa, you had a... Charles Franklin, who runs the Marquette Poll, is here at some point in the Idea Fest, but he would be the first to tell you that it's polling in a positive direction um, in his poll, um, and his poll is very likely to reach 50-plus you know, people who are more sort of socially conservative, the types of people who pick up their
phoning the evening and landline. agree yes. to answer, yeah. you know, a half an hour's worth of questions. So. Absolutely. Here for the data, it said according to April 2019, Marquette University law poll, 59% of Wisconsin Wisconsinites say they support marijuana legalization. This represents a 13% increase since 2014, which is exactly what Representative Sargent said and reflects national trends and support of marijuana legalization, moving to legalize marijuana. It's a line in which it is the will of the people of the state of Wisconsin. So there we go. Let's do what the will of the people say needs to be done. Did you have one more question in front of you there, David? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so many of us in the room have heard about the Rastafari Church here in Madison. Yeah. And for those of you who haven't heard of it, you become a member and you make a donation to the church. And part of what you get as your donation is you can receive THC-related products. And they were raided back in May or June, something like that. They were open for a couple months. And I, I think I saw a report that they had 20,000 members registered. So <laughs> I, would, I would like uh, Paloma to speak maybe um, how, they, how that legal workaround happened and how they were able to kind of reopen, if you will, because I know I heard people going to it last week, I believe. Well, since I lived in Milwaukee, this is the first I'm hearing of it. Okay. Uh, so apparently news doesn't travel that fast across the state. Um, well, I would say without getting into the intricacies of uh, nonprofit religious organizations, since that is not my forte. I would say that the reason that they probably were able to reopen is simply that, is that they're designated as a religious organization. Um, and there are certain limitations for regulation of religious organizations. Um, but granted, when there's illegal activity occurring, think of the worst case possibility, which is a, a church that has turned into a cult. Of course, you see mm -hmm. government coming in and, and taking charge. And, Kind of disbanding or and or saving people depending on what's going on inside the cult. Um, so you have some boundaries as the government from being able to step in and govern what a religious organization does. But when it crosses the line into outright illegal activity, then they have that right to come in. So I don't know. Maybe you guys will see a continuance of uh, rating and, and closing and re reopening. I'm not sure. Yeah. They have resources to yeah. hire attorneys, and so that's going to be yeah. interesting. We're, we're almost out of time here. Uh, just before we leave, uh, Representative Sargent, um, again, I just want to get back to this. Are, are you actually having meetings with Republicans in the legislature? Are you seeing some, some movement uh, there from your colleagues across the aisle? Well, so frequently, I mean, when it comes to this topic, I receive phone calls from folks from across the state of Wisconsin, not just folks from the 48th Assembly District who say, you know, I would have never voted for the same president as you, and I'm sure we voted for different governors, but go girl, I'm on your side, and you know, what can I do to support you? Um, and my first response to them is, you know, I'll give your senator and representative a call and push on them a little bit, let them know how it is that you feel. Um, we know that the vast majority of the people in the state of Wisconsin support legalization. I am having one-on-one -on -one conversations with my colleagues, regardless of what side of the aisle. There are plenty of Democrats that have not signed on to this bill. Um, so I don't want to let them off unfairly. Um, your question is pretty. Your part. Your, your question is partisan. And okay. There are Democrats that haven't signed on. We need to push on them and encourage them to sign on and, and, and support this as well. 
Um, I think that there is will on the other side of the aisle when we have one-on-one -on -one conversations behind closed doors. People support people support this. Um, but our government here in the state of Wisconsin, in particular the legislative branch, um, leadership has a lot of input and control over their members, and they have been encouraged not to sign on at this point in time. Um, people talk to me about where their stock portfolios are invested, however, um, and I know that there are people that are benefiting from legalization of cannabis in other states on the other side of the aisle, and they would like to be able to move that to Wisconsin. Right. If I may just build on your question, what is the chief reason that you hear from people who won't sign on to the bill? So I started being a little bit more um, unapologetic about asking why, and I'm not able, oftentimes they can't answer that question. It's just a flat no. Uh, yeah. It's just not a caucus priority right now. <laughs> um, please join me in thanking the members of our community. Thanks so much for listening to Live from Cap Times Idea Fest. More episodes will be coming out shortly. In the meantime, do check out our other podcasts here at the Cap Times. Those include Wedge Issues, The Corner Table, and The Mad Splainers. You can find those and Live from Cap Times Idea Fest at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or just about anywhere else you can find podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back real soon. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.